Hi, it's great to see you all. It's um, <clears throat> really fun for me to be here because I'm a, a long-time and very grateful uh, student friend of Gil Fronsdils. And so for years I've listened to the audio dharma from Boulder um, on my computer. My computer's in right next to my kitchen, so I listen to your dharma talks um, while I'm cooking or cleaning up or whatever. And so uh, I've actually never, I've been here, but never when anybody's here before. So it's really, <laughs> it's really fun to actually see the place inhabited and, you know, find myself sitting here. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a really inspiring community. Um, Mudita with um, a little bit of arising jealousy, envy, that you have such um, wonderful activities and great people. Yesterday I was invited to give a talk at the, the Sati Center, which I guess is, uh, they call themselves a virtual center. I think of them as having entered into homelessness. Um, and I spoke on the women of the, uh, that are attributed to having written the poems of the Terragata. And um, it was really fun because I love these poems. I love these, these uh, reports about these women's lives. And so I had, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 12 and 20 people held hostage for the whole day who um, got to go over these with me. And uh, I guess they could have left freely. Um, and so they, st- they stayed. So that's why I'm here. And it was really fun. And I've been being hosted um, royally um, by your Sangha members. Bruce and Inez have been put me up and people have taken me out. And it's really been uh, a pleasure. What I'm interested in exploring with you um, this morning is something that's kind of the koan that I've been uh, dealing with in my own practice. You know how, I don't know about you all, but uh, things just arise and I, you know, I get a lot of momentum out of them for periods of time and then somehow or another they just disappear. <laughs> something else comes up and, and that becomes the pressing issue and I can't believe that that wasn't the pressing issue, you know, before and how did I miss that one. But anyway, there's a constant cycle. And I think the the issue that's <clears throat> really um, one that I've been kind of savoring or troubling or working with um, troubling in the positive sense, I, I, I think, um, is the issue or the, the relationship between being ordinary, just being an ordinary person and, bless you, confidence in the Dhamma. Having confidence in my practice, in my, in my Dharma life, in the Dharma specifically in being ordinary. And what a, what a fabulously rich connection that is for me. And so I want to talk about that a little bit and then I'd love to, to hear what you have to say about it. I think um, to begin to talk about it, one of the things I would have to say is that um, in, my, in my Dhammic life, in my life as a practitioner over many decades and many different, feels like, incarnations, you know, raising children, 
um, going to graduate school, having a career, um, being married, being divorced, having great friends, um, you know, the things that we go through in our lives, burying my parents, um, having, you know, wonderful experiences, having terrible experiences, just the, just the gamut of a human life. Um, with all the vicissitudes, all the ups and downs, all the times when I've thought, yes, now I get it. This is how to live my life in the most spiritually honest, accurate, fruitful way with material success, just enough. And, uh, you know, relationships, just enough. And then, of course, something changes and that doesn't work. And how there's often a sense that if only I could do something a little bit different, if I was a little bit better, then I'd finally figure it out and my life would be just like, you know, perfect. I could have like really um, that balance that I always want. If only, you know, I, Nona Olivia, could figure out exactly how to make that happen. And, and occasionally I do, and then something, and then everything changes. You know, the changing ground, the slippage that happens. And I think the time that I feel this the most um, crucially, the thing that's most crucial that comes up for me, is when I'm um, confronted with moral and ethical decisions, things that feel like moral and ethical decisions to me. Whether to speak honestly to someone who I see... um, it's maybe being hurtful to other people that I, you know, should I keep that to myself? Is, am I inflicting my opinion or should I say something to this person? Um, I'm trying to think of another example, but it's that kind of thing. How much of it, the question I ask myself is, how much of this is my personality view, my attachment to being right and wrong, my um, wanting someone to be in line with the way I think uh, a person should live a moral and ethical life, should tell the truth, should be able to keep secrets if they're asked to keep secrets, should be able to, um, I don't know, behave in a, a warm and loving, forgiving way. Maybe, you know, you see I have colleagues who, you know, take offense at something and then never speak to somebody else and should I say something or is just that my agenda and so that's really for me that's that's really important that's a that feels like a crucial edge like where is my personality my psychiatry my personality view um, overtaking you know or or is it something I should do? Is it if a friend of mine says, well, you know, I love the Dharma, but I can't practice because I'm way too busy. And, you know, why do I say, well, maybe you should get up earlier. Maybe they have, you know, three little kids and they're already strung out. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just that kind of edge where you're just not quite sure. So that's one of the ways it comes up for me. Another way it comes up for me is, when I'm suffering, when I'm just really unhappy with the way things are. And um, I want them to be different. I want, uh, I want to be more relaxed in my friendships. I want to not have 
expectations of uh, different circumstances or situations, but I do. But I do have those expectations. Um, I don't want to go to work. I want to go on long retreats. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I am most happy when I'm in long retreat. Why can't we just do that? Um, Bill is one of the people who has told me over the years, you know, your, your practice is in the world. Your practice is in the world. Why? Because I love long retreats. You know, I'm so happy when, you know, you don't make eye t- contact and you don't have to talk to anybody. I love everybody then. <laughs> I, am cl- I am the queen of metta, let me tell you. I radiate metta. You wouldn't believe it. I, you know, I, I could, and then I come out and I'm radiating metta for about, oh, you know, a week or two weeks and somebody cuts me off in the intersection on my way to work and I radiate something else. I, <laughs> I won't tell you what that is. And I guess that, that really uh, pretty much captures the, that edge of you know, where my work is because, and what the topic that I'm talking about because then what I rely on because I really am much more comfortable on the cushion in silence with my eyes closed um, than I am interacting with people who, um, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but they actually have their own opinions. And uh, their own way of doing things, and you know, not quite as you know correct as mine. But uh. and then it's really for me, you know, this kind of struggle because I find myself, and I don't know about you, but I find myself, I really want to do it right. I just want to do it right. You know, I want to do it right, whatever it is. I want to do it right. You know, I want to, I want to be a good Dharma practitioner. If nothing else, I don't want to accrue any more bad karma. You know, nothing, I mean, it really comes down to probably a pretty um, selfish motivation. I just want to have really good, I want to create merit and have good karmic relationships and good karma. And, and I sincerely would like to, to be a person who can live from that place of, of generating merit, no matter, I mean generating metta and merit, no matter what. So really what it comes down to for me then, which is I think the most important and the, the, the I don't know how to even say this, but the, the center, the core, the essence, the, the raison d'etre, the everything of my life is then having confidence in the Dharma and where that comes from, how, for me, how that operates. And how that operates for me is not just faith. I don't, it's not just, oh, I have faith in the Dharma because, you know, because I'm really not very, I'm not very good at faith, actually. Um, some people are, I'm not. Um, I like concrete things. Um, I like to have, you know, concrete experiences that then I can count on. But the faith comes in because I think I have had concrete experiences. And what I find and what I um, 
cycle back to continually as my place of confidence in the Dharma is really faith in the application of the four foundations of mindfulness. And it's something that um, it is, I guess, what I would say my, it's my confidence in the Dharma. My confidence in the Dharma is my experience in the immediate present of feeling my body, how it feels right now. Um, cycling through the senses. Uh, I love what you know Joseph says, there, and you know probably Joseph got it from somebody. But there's only you know six different ways to experience the world at any given moment, and you know, and so there's seeing. You know, there's there are the objects, there are the my eyes, and then they meet, and I'm seeing. And then there's sound, and there are the objects, there are my sense organs, and then there's hearing, and tasting, smelling, feeling, and thinking, of course. And, um, That's the sticky one, isn't it? The thinking emotion one. Um, that's the one that really takes the, the most practice is to be able to, to note, ah, oh, I love Ajahn Sumedho's formulation. Ah, oh, thinking is like this. Um, hearing is like this. Feeling is like this. Seeing is like this. And then everything else is is extra. It's not bad, it's not good, but it's just, you know, it's just extra. So then we have these wonderful capacities um, of mind to then interpret, to then interpret what's going on. We have to do that, right? Otherwise we'd be, you know, trying to I don't know, swim through concrete and, you know, I don't know, eat our shoes or <laughs> something. Um, I thought that was funny. Um, but there's, you know, so the, the mind, the, the, the ability to interpret, to um, make meaning of things is, is, you know, it's a good thing. I don't mean to say anything negative about that. I mean, I have a good mind. I'm grateful for my mind. I, I have a, intelligent mind. I came about at a time where, you know, I've done gazillions of years of therapy, so it's more or less healthy. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it, you know, there's, the mind is a good thing. It's a very helpful thing. So I don't mean to, I'm not one of those people who, who wants to diss thinking or diss the mind. But, um, but on the other hand, to really note that it's so influenced, it's so colored by um, my habits, my habits of thought, the habits of mind, the habits, uh, the accumulation of, of uh, 
just going over things and making meaning in a certain way time and time again so that um, if, you know, if something happens, I can interpret it in a positive way, in a negative way. It just uh, depends on my state. But nevertheless, really, my confidence in the Dharma is what's happening now, right now. And I love the Four Foundations of Mindfulness because if you go back and review them, and when I was thinking about giving this talk last night, I, I, uh, I borrowed Inez's copy and I was looking, I was rereading the, the Four Foundations. And I remember spending a, a, a chunk of time at the Forest Refuge and I decided that what I would do is just pay attention to the Four Foundations. And um, because sometimes they seem so simple, don't they? It's like, oh, well, you know, I've been practicing for a long time, so I should, do, I should now do the 24 foundations. You know, I'm so sophisticated. Maybe I should do the 48 foundations. But, um, but just being with the body, just being with the body, you know, the body sitting is like this. And really being with, what is it like? If you really feel the body sitting, Breathing in long is like this. Agitated mental state is like this. The calm, the mind that's calm is like this. And the bhikkhu notices, this is how it says in the, this is how it's translated. And the bhikkhu notices, ah, the unagitated mind is like this. This is pleasant. This is not pleasant. This is neither pleasant nor not pleasant. Neutral. And I notice, for me, the most uh, fruitful part of my practice on a moment-to-moment basis is doing that in every situation, every circumstance, really cycling through or doing what's most, what I have most access. And I'm very agitated. For me, uh, watching mental states is not that easy because I'm too involved in them. I get (coughs) caught up in them. I am my mental state. I am the agitation. It's too refined. So at that point, what I do is I, uh, I bring my attention to my body because it's, it's not refined, it's solid, it's here. And I feel, and I, I, I go, I, I, and as I'm speaking to you, I feel, ah, my, the bottom of my feet, it's cool air on the bottom of my feet, my legs feel like this. And I think that the thing that's important to say about that, because you know some of you are probably very proficient at that, and maybe others of you aren't, and what I, I think that when I first heard this, I thought, well, so what? So the body's like this. So, you know, everybody knows what the body's like. But what I, what I find most helpful about that is it really stops my identification with my personality view, with the way that I, given the, the way that I've come into this world, given the way that I've been developed these uh, many decades, the way that I interpret. So instead, I'm just being with what is at the moment. 
that granted it's me and it's me with all of my all of that that I bring to it but it's me without becoming it's me without becoming more without leaning more into making me more by interpreting that meaning or leaning back into memory and just interpreting oh my body feels like this because that was the time when I fell off the horse and blah 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 not that just now just now and then I can notice when my personality view comes in when uh, my own way of interpreting meaning of either my body the sense realm because there really is only six ways to experience the world at every given second and there is the experience and then there's the interpretation of the experience based on my personality and I can see that I can I can watch that I can be with that and see oh I'm sitting in this room it feels like this I'm seeing I'm hearing I'm smelling I'm tasting I'm thinking this is what's happening and then I can make meaning I could say oh well you know there's one person in the room who won't look at me maybe that means they don't like me or this person keeps smiling they probably really like me or whatever you know that's just the way we do it right and it's that it's not the thinking about the Dharma that gives me confidence in the Dharma because sometimes the Dharma according to my thought process according to my personality view sometimes my practice works and sometimes my practice doesn't work if I think about it if I use my own personality to to measure whatever works means uh, whatever that means to me but then when I just move back and here I am at this moment just being just just being present and that's where my confidence is that's where I'm confident in the in the Dharma just being with this right now this this is how it feels right now so that's what I wanted to say and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this um, I forget what time I was supposed to stop but I think it's 10.27 or 8 is that okay? is that good? And um, is that good? Yeah. oh good so we have a little time then to have other people talk about this okay oh okay is that good I'd love to hear what other people have to say about their experience of, of confidence in the, in the Dharma and um, how that works in their own life on a moment to moment basis there's a hand behind you no actually we need to use the mics for a couple of reasons one because some people can only hear with the hearing assisted devices and the other is like Nona listens on, on the internet hi um, it was interesting to me listening to uh, you talk about when you were in your suffering because recently I have been overwhelmed 
with the suffering in the world, mm-hmm. um, such as this woman that threw three children over the bridge, and you know the murders and the things that are going on, and I have really felt myself as a sensitive, as a noun, mm-hmm. and uh, not knowing what to do with it. And I work as a therapist dealing with children and teenagers with addiction issues. And I see the suffering and I feel the suffering. And I got to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore. And I wanted to basically hide under my blanket and just retreat. Mm -hmm. So in that, the thing that has saved me is I am a somatic therapist. It's going back to the body. Mm and being in the present and dealing with six inches around my body and trying to remain there than being in the suffering. So it was a really good reminder to go back to the truth, to go back to what I actually can affect, what I can change, what I have the ability to affect. And it brings me to the group here. It brings me back to sitting and tolerating the pain. So thank you. Thank you. It's a very, that's a, uh, I think, a, such an important point to bring up because there are times when the suffering is so great, our suffering is so great, to sit and just be with it maybe too much and you know we can be with the body we can be with um, our breath we can be with whatever is arising but if it's this, if the suffering is so overwhelming that it um, it makes it impossible to be with other things then sometimes it's important to find something else, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's important to note it, to notice the suffering, to, um, if you can, to have some um, acknowledgement of, of this is suffering. In other words, this isn't me or mine. Um, but sometimes it's important to find other things, and I think it's one of the things I... I love about at least my fantasy of your sangha is that you seem to have such great spiritual friends and be that for each other. Um, so I don't mean to say that you can sit through everything. I do think that confidence in the Dharma includes knowing that there are times when you might need to have something to help. The world is in a pretty desperate place I'm trained as a classicist in ancient Greek and Latin language and literature and so from my perspective the world has been in a pretty desperate place for thousands of years because <laughs> when you read the ancient history it, it, I don't know that it's any worse now but here we are now you know it's one thing to read about it happening in the past it's another thing to be in it and um, so thank you for bringing that up
somebody else. Please. Well, I <coughs> share some of the previous um, speakers' um, angst about the situation, the world, and the suffering, and it just seems as though death is all around us. And there are times when I, instead of sitting, I just say to my friends, I'm going to bed and hiding under the blanket today because that's what I need to do mm-hmm. for a while, and that works, that helps get through it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same impulse that makes me want to go on long retreats and sit on a cushion and, you know, whether it's under a blanket in your bedroom or in somebody's dharma hall, you know. Um, I feel a, a pretty strong faith in the dharma, but I always feel like it comes after the fact that um, when I've been through, like, a difficult patron at work who who I reacted to rather than being detached from it and being able to tap into compassion and um, so after it's over it's like oh had I only been it would have been different so do you have any have you found any ways to sort of kind of routinely keep yourself connected in some way I mean I guess um, a little bit of what you said about just being in the body would be one way to do that it's a great question, and I think that is the question about practice, isn't it? The how do we stay connected? And I think that's Gil's point to me. It's one thing to be able to be really connected when you're on a cushion in a dharma hall somewhere, or maybe under a blanket. Um, but what about when you're being triggered or somebody you're, you know, really reacting? And that's where the that's the practice. For me, that's the practice. And what is it that I do? And that's why I feel like the four foundations of mindfulness, really going, finding for you, um, or for oneself, what does it? What really can bring you back at that moment that you go? And I think that for me, the thing that, that I really, that brings me back is I really don't like to suffer. So suffering is, you know, I know this sounds like, you know, this sounds like redundancy, but suffering is a red flag. You know, if I'm beginning to, to cling or I think things are different or, or things should be different than they are or this person is so wrong or, you know, if only I could, you know, rescue that person or make this better or this can change, or whatever it is, you know. These people don't really see me. They see their projected, whatever it is. You know, as soon as that happens, there's this red flag and it's like, oh, you know, what am I, I'm clinging to something. What is it? And then it's like, what, what's going on right now, at this second? The first thing I often notice is, ah, reacting is like this. You know, um, being triggered is like this. Suffering feels like this. Um, being angry is like this. Um, being angry that I'm angry <laughs> is like this. Um, and then you know, that brings me back. Well, what's actually going on right now? Right now. And this, it's interesting because personality, this is my experience, personality view, Sakya Ditti, doesn't often want to let go of what's going on. Have you experienced that too? It's like, well, but wait a minute. You know, it's fine to just come back and check in, but they are wrong. 
<laughs> and you should go tell them they're wrong because, man, you know, whatever. It's like, ah, you know, wanting to correct this person. You know, this feels like this, you know. I want to make it, I want to change them. Does that feel good? Well, that does feel good because, by golly, they're wrong, you know. But there's a, there's a good, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that doesn't feel good there. You know, even though there's a little bit of self-righteousness or whatever it is that's fueling that. Something about it. There's something, I think, that in my own experience that I know that's going to continue to evolve. And then even if I get the last word in, or maybe even especially if I get the last word in, there's going to be something that doesn't feel good about that. So for me, there's just this series of kind of cues, I guess you'd say. And I'm not always successful, that's for sure. But a lot of the time, you know, before I get too far out there, I just, it's just like, oh, bottom of my feet are cold. And, you know, my hands feel like this. And my shoulders feel like this. And then there's, oh, sound. And then just in back. And back, I, I disconnect just enough from personality view, from wanting things to be the way that I think they would be better, that I can then resume being present. But it's a practice. I mean, that's the practice. Thank you. Anybody else? Please. Well, I really related to what you said about being addicted to the retreat environment and to also the refuge in the four foundations. I, but that for me, as I've been sitting here thinking about this, I've kind of worked through it. But I also feel that I get sort of stuck there. I mean, it's such a temptation just to drop into the body and into the present moment. And, and I, I just do that and I, and I start to feel like, well, why don't I just sit here? I mean, it seems like any motivation to do anything besides observe is sort of unwholesome sometimes. So, but then I realize, well, that's not true. I, I do just do things, you know. So there's a sense where I just, that's a sort of wanting, to ha- wanting a plan, you know, and wanting to feel like I know that what I'm going to do is the right thing and that I'm always acting from totally wholesome motives. And so, um, I, I mean, there's not any answer to this. It's just an observation that I feel like I, the only source of confidence I have is turning into the present and into the body, but... I don't know. I sort of get stuck there, mm-hmm. and you know. And what is the stuck? I was I didn't quite get what the stuck. Well, is. I feel like I like I want to spend all the time, you know, in in bed under the covers, as it were, and I don't have to do that. But just being, mm-hmm. there's a sense of being sort of turning into observing instead of doing anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's just it's somehow just not clear to me mm-hmm. what to do after that. I'm just so drawn to being quiet. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's great. I mean, I, in the sense that I, I think, at least it's my experience, in, in my world, it's a constant push to do. Constant, I mean, I think, don't we all live with that? This constant push to do, do more, do more, become more, become better, even if it means become better at not doing anything, right? I mean, that's my new thing. I want to become really good <laughs> at not doing anything. <laughs> But I want to become really good at it. (laughs) 
And um, so I think it's interesting to watch this part. It reminds me actually of Ajahn Sumedha, who apparently is really very much a part of this talk today. Um, it reminds me of one of the things that he said. It really troubled me, but and I've I've kind of you know worked with it for a long time. I liked it. I like it, but it also troubled me. And it was some Dharma talk they gave a long time ago, and he said something about how he was just waiting. He wasn't waiting for anything in particular. He was just patiently waiting, waiting, just patiently waiting. And, you know, kind of what I get from that, and it was kind of like, what? I mean, I, I think, you know, then I immediately put meaning in it. Waiting for what? Waiting for death? Waiting for, <laughs> waiting for the next emergency? I mean, you know, that was what I did with it. But it, what, what it really makes me think of is waiting for the next thing to arise. Like, I don't have to go out and create stuff to do. I often do, but we don't have to. And if something hasn't arisen that requires you to interact with it, why not just be still? Because I think that that's, that's such fabulous training to teach. To, I would love to be able to do that, to just be able to be still until something arises that needs my attention. And I think that often what I do, because I'm, I've just been conditioned to do that, and I think most of us have been, is I create things to do. Or I see some, something way off in the distance that would be better if only I got involved with it somehow and made it better. Um, so I, I know that's not exactly what you're saying, but I think it's an interesting kind of middle ground to pay attention to. As long as it's not, and you know, this is maybe part of what you're saying, is that desire to disengage and not do anything. And I certainly know that one. I think that's part of what Gil has responded to in me of, you know. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm feeling, is yeah. that there's a lot of that in it. Yeah. And sometimes that comes with, you know, for me it comes with kind of a sense of, oh, I don't know, maybe despair or, you know, the, you know, it's too much trouble or, you know, things are so cockamamie anyway, why should I get involved? And, but I think it's an interesting two sides. On the one hand, just being and seeing where we need to respond. And on the other hand, not giving in to giving up. All right, thank you. Thank you. Please. This is mic. Okay. Uh, as I uh, set more, I be- have become aware of how how much how I perceive the world in get in any given moment is actually due to other other effects, uh, like my blood sugar level. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't eaten something. For a while, if I if I've been working very hard, and then the next day I may be irritable because I have a lot of pain level in my body, and I've learned that uh, that it's very important for me to be very mindful during those periods uh, when that happens because they sort of come out of the blue. They don't they're not correlated with anything, but my level of uh, emotional level is very disrupted mm-hmm. in those periods, and and I think that by by uh, uh, by understanding that, that's made a little bit more freedom for me. I'm not so reactive to people or to situations, and therefore I don't have second level, third level. Pretty soon I don't even know why I'm angry at somebody because it started because I had low blood sugar level. <laughs> so that's my comment. Great. 
I think that's a great comment, isn't it? Because it, it's just common sense. And I don't know about it. sounds like you and I are in the same boat. Like for a long time, every time I would um, start getting the flu, I thought I was really depressed. And I'd think, oh, I'm so depressed. What's wrong with me? What, why can't I just toughen up? And then I'd have 102 fever. <laughs> you know, and it was just, I, I was just really not paying attention to my body. There was just this impulse to push forward. And, you know, bless Descartes, but I think he was wrong. You know, we are our bodies in so many ways. And I think that's such taking care of ourselves, being aware of just these, uh, these little discomforts, the way that, you know, our bodies can impinge on our sense of well-being in the world. And I think the other thing that comes to my mind about that is that's true for everybody. And it actually, often when someone's acting a particular way that I think is maybe not being sensitive to me or being cranky or something, and I think, well, maybe, they're, maybe they didn't sleep very well last night. Maybe their blood sugar is low. Maybe every time they get a cold, they think they're just depressed. I mean, you know, that we're all, you know, in these hypersensitive bodies that really need to be paid attention to. So thank you for bringing that up. It's a very common sense thing, but I think, again, our culture pushes us to not want to acknowledge that that's the case. That's a good point. It's now um, 10.45, and I think it says here that that's when you end. (laughs) And I'm going to be around if anybody wants to talk anymore. I'm I'm (coughs) happy to talk, and otherwise, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.